Hey friends, welcome to Boca, a podcast exploring the ever-blurring lines between the personal and business lives of professional photographers. This is your host, Nathan Holritz, and I'm happy that you can join me in connecting with photographers and entrepreneurs as we discuss photography, business, and that sometimes messy thing we call life. This podcast is brought to you by Milu, the simplest way for photographers and coordinators to collaborate on shot lists and timelines for weddings, parties, and other amazing events. Visit Milu, M-I-I-L-U.com. This podcast is also brought to you by Photographers Edit, custom image editing for the professional photographer. Visit PhotographersEdit.com. All right, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we are back for another Boca podcast episode, and I am joined today by, yet again, a brand new guest or guests, plural, David and Whitney Scott. Thank you all so much for hanging out with me today. Thanks for having us. Yeah, we're glad to be here. And, and we've managed to kind of work through some technical difficulties, and, and we're here. I think we're going to have a really interesting conversation about something very relevant, which I guess on a bigger picture level is how to maintain a certain level of proactivity in light of a bit of chaos when it comes to our business. And we'll, we'll expound on that here in just a little bit. Uh, but as we normally do here at the Boca podcast, I love to start with some introductory questions, by the way, for everybody listening in Whitney Scott, is the website. And we all remind us what the Instagram account as well. And we'll put this all in the show notes. Uh, Instagram is also Whitney Scott photography. Perfect. Um, yeah, we got lucky. We we jumped on the ball whenever things were released. Facebook page, we have to secure it. As if there's <laughs> 500 Whitney Scott photographies out there vying for the same same name. So, well, and just yeah. to give a little bit of context to our listeners, actually, before I be, get into our, our questions, can you just share with our listeners what market you're based in? Yeah, we're based in Northwest Arkansas, which for most of the country, they could care less. But uh, the the town we're in is Bentonville. It's the home of Walmart. Okay. So that either is a good thing for you guys or you're still turning <laughs> your nose down on us because of Arkansas and because of Walmart. But yeah, that's where we are. No no judgment here. Yeah, most people associate Arkansas with, you know, bare feet and overalls, but this is a very different area. Hmm. It's comparable to like an Austin, Texas. It's very hip. There's a lot of uh, great clientele here and we just love it. Yeah. And what's the what's the photography market like in that particular area? I mean, are there like many other markets that there are just a lot of photographers, wedding portrait photographers, et cetera? Oh yes. Okay. Oh yes. I don't think it's dissimilar to anywhere else. I would say, like everywhere else, there are probably not a lot of high end photographers. I think most of the competition, as always, is right there in the middle. Okay. Got a lot of startups, a lot of shoot and burners. Um, but there is a small pool of very high-end photographers, and there's a lot of clients that we're able to work with within that subset. Interesting. You know, it, it's funny when you say the, the kind of the middle of the market, because when you look at, at the national averages, especially when it comes to wedding photography specifically, and this is something I mentioned before on the podcast, but it's, it's fascinating, actually. About 70, the data that I've seen, about 70% or so, actually closer to, to 80%, um, last I saw, of weddings photographed in the U.S. are photographed for two grand and below. And then you have the next... I'd say about 12% or so of the market spending between two and five grand. And then that top 78% are 
are spending above that. Now, of course, that's wedding photography specifically. I don't have the specifics on portraits, uh, which I know is a specialty for you all. But it's interesting how that so-called middle of the market that it seems like, yeah, a lot of photographers or at least established photographers are playing in that kind of two to, to five range when it comes to wedding photography is actually still on the top end. And there's this massive segment of the market that is largely underserved. And, and it's always, it's fascinated me for the longest time. It seems like there's a massive opportunity to serve that um, kind of the so-called low end, just the low income bracket of the market. What are your thoughts on that? Just as a general idea. There's uh, there's a lot of room at the top and there is less competition at the top, hmm. but you do market in a very different way than you would to the middle of the market. And I think that's something that you have to think about. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, The, the conversation um, the the brand positioning, the the marketing efforts, whether it's ads or or otherwise, it, it does have to be relevant to the market, to your target client. And that's a whole loaded topic in and of itself that maybe we can touch on in a different podcast episode and certainly have spoken to in, in past uh, episode or episodes. But for today, um, I, I want to jump because we have a kind of loaded topic to get to. I want to go ahead and get into our, our questions here, kind of introductory questions. And I'd be curious to begin with your experience as portrait photographers what would you say is one of the most important principles that you have found has made a big difference when it comes to creating a really great client experience? I would say our very personal relationship with our clients. And we are also very targeted in the kind of clients that we want. We present ourselves in a certain way so that we can attract that particular type of clients. Uh, And I do think it's relative to talk I mean, relevant to talk about the way we attract those clients, because I think it's important to what we're going to talk about in today's uh, podcast, because it is relationship based when you are trying to get into those um, upper echelons of clients, you don't attract them in the way you do a typical middle of the road client. Hmm. It's completely relationship based. You have to know people that they know. They travel in circles. And once you're able to break into that circle, then you have access to everyone in it. But everyone that we have gotten at that level has been because of the relationships that we have created and cultivated over time. And when you talk about personal relationships, um, this is one that's kind of fascinated me for the longest time as well. How far, I guess, how much of an effort do you make to go extremely personal? When we talk about developing personal relationships. What, what does that actually look like on a practical level? Because, you know, offering a great client experience can happen without becoming extremely great friends, for example. Um, when you talk about developing personal relationships, how far do you take that? Well, part of it is developing the personal relationship. But the other part is, um, and Whitney can address that, the part is that I guess we focus a lot of our attention on is presenting ourselves as a peer or an equal. So for instance, in an impractical sense, we don't photograph events. We instead go to those events. We attend with them. Hmm. Now it may be an investment for us to do that, but we think the, uh, the return on that is worth it. That's where we put, I guess, what would be traditional marketing money. We put that towards those kinds of experiences where they see us as an equal instead of someone who's just hired to, to go in and shoot the event because we want to set ourselves apart from a typical traditional, you know, for do it all photographer. Mm-hmm. Uh, we want to be very targeted in our approach and how we're perceived. And so that perception management is something we spend a lot of time on. Some people may look at that as being artificial or fake. We just see it as being very smart in our approach to building trust, gaining trust with the clients we want. 
Well, I mean, I think a great example of that is that um, our, ten, our children attend a private school. And a lot of the kids that they go to school with, their, their families are our ideal client. But that's not something that we've exploited. We've just developed relationships like you would with any other parents that your kids are going to school with. But when they decided to have their first gala this year, they asked us immediately, immediately if we wanted to photograph the gala. And we said, no, let's do something better. So I hopped on that committee as quickly as I could. Yeah. And we created um, some beautiful, large imagery that we could display at the gala. So we were just setting ourselves up to be perceived in a different way if we had just gone there as an event photographer and were kind of, you know, the party pit guy. Interesting. So, I mean, first of all, being really intentional and limiting your actual photographic activities to high-end portrait photography working with these with this particular segment of the market and being consistent in that naturally sets you apart. It helps maintain consistency in the brand representation, the brand position in the market, uh, which we're going to get to here actually in just a second, your brand position. But I, I still I want to go back to just for a second, though, this that the idea of engaging with clients in a way that that helps them feel like you're their peers on a very practical level beyond just going to an event with them for example what else what else is involved in that effort and does it is it really necessary even to create some kind of distinction between who you are day to day and who you are to them for the sake of coming across as peers what what does that look like on a practical level it doesn't mean we have to drive a bmw <laughs> <laughs> That would be we fun. actually drive a Prius. <laughs> we're, we're Dave Ramsey people. We don't live the same way that our clients live, but there are certain areas where we can find commonality. Okay. And for us, a huge part of that has been in joining with them in like nonprofit work and things that they are passionate about that we're also passionate about. We're not doing this as a way to be fake or a way to be somebody that we're not, but if we can truly find connecting points yeah. where we can connect peer to peer, then we develop that trust and that friendship naturally. For sure. And I think, I think that's, that makes a lot more sense. And, and I mean, interestingly enough, that's applicable really to any relationship, right? If you want to develop a good relationship sure. with somebody, you look for points of commonality to, to that, that ultimately drive connection. And um, I, I think that's a really great reminder for all of our listeners, regardless of the market that they're serving. But I do want to get to the next question, which has to do with brand position. This is something that we spend a lot of time on here on the podcast, because it's really not discussed a whole lot in the industry. And it's actually something that can play a significant role in making the marketing efforts of a photography business much easier. Um, what is What would you consider your brand position? If, you're, if you were to sum up in a phrase or a sentence, the unique value proposition that your business brings to your local market, how would you sum that up? We've actually talked about this because, and here we're, we're getting into the psychology a little bit because we're all, we're all about the psychology of things, Yeah. but the way we present ourselves, um, you know, the first exposure that clients have to us, whether that's uh, in person, whether that's on social media or some sort of advertising that's out there or a referral, we want the same messaging to come across. And so we have three words that we always think about when we are putting ourselves out there. And that's the way that we want to be perceived, which is we want to be seen as fun. We want to be seen as, what's the other one? <laughs> oh, oh, generous again, which has to do with the nonprofit aspect of our work. And believe it or not, we want people to perceive us as expensive. 
because we're weeding out even through that very first exposure. And so we are um, not fielding all the calls from people who don't know that they can't afford us. We're putting things out there that showcase those three words. And so by the time people contact us, they either know somebody that we know, or they know that it's going to be an investment and they are ready to book. So how do you effectively, so these are fun, generous, and expensive. I almost in some ways feel like three ideas that could stand on their own, putting them together, especially in in light of your effort at reaching a higher end segment of the market there is interesting. How do you effectively convey each of those ideas through your website, for example, or does, does your website play even that big of a role if much of your marketing efforts are are via relationships? How, How do you effectively convey these ideas? You know, I don't think our website plays a big role um, in what we do. And that could be on us for not really investing much time in it. But no, we are in the process of reworking our website. So this is a good conversation for us to be having. What photographer is not in the process of redeveloping their website? (laughs) No, I think people who have decided to book us go to our website and kind of check things out. Okay. But if you will look through our Instagram page, okay. you'll be able to identify how we've kind of run every post through this filter of, does this showcase the things that we want to showcase about our business? So you might see a post of us behind the scenes during a session, and um, I'm photographing from on top of David's shoulders. That does happen from time to time. <laughs> and it showcased the fact that it, the fact that we're fun to work with and you're going to enjoy your experience. Okay with us. You might see that we are installing a huge grouping of artwork on a client's wall that shows that there's a high service component and that that's probably something that is an investment for our clients. Hmm, okay. You'll see the nonprofit work we're mm-hmm. involved in. Yeah. And you have to walk that fine line between promotion, the humble brag <laughs> right, versus virtue signaling. Some, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Versus this is something we really are passionate about and we love to do it and for instance, we did a, a 50 inch by 120 inch install, this large collage yeah. with a dance studio that was fairly new, was kind of struggling. We wanted to do something that would help them out. And after the install, she said, I feel, I love it. I feel like I need a little sign right next to it that says who you are. And, um, and I said, you know, we're not, it's not about us promoting who we are through this process. People ask questions, but I got to thinking, does she really want to field all those questions a hundred times? <laughs> Maybe something a little bit, but the idea was we're not about putting the plaque up or, you know, Hey, so much look at us, but driving our resources towards what we feel passionate about, what we believe in. Yeah. That is an interesting kind of dichotomy, making sure that I guess underlying the business, there is a sense of generosity. If you have the opportunity to give to an organization or donate your time or donate photography, or otherwise, um, there is, there is a certain, um, I don't know, I guess, how, how do you manage to ultimately convey the, the significance of that idea of giving or generosity in this case to the potential client so that they understand that that's what underlies your business or is what, what is underneath everything that you do can behind the mission while simultaneously not, not coming across ridiculous. And in, in the fact that you're, you're trying to, you know, put it out there, signal that you're doing good for the world at large. It, it's an interesting balance to try to strike, it seems. But nonetheless, 
the fact that you're you're involved in any of those efforts at all, I think is a great example for our listeners. It's not something that I proactively did a whole lot as a photographer when I was shooting weddings. Um, and I think it's a wonderful thing that you all do this. And you set an example for our listeners. And would, would you suggest going about looking for those opportunities in any particular way? How do you go about finding those events that you're photographing or, or somehow donating to giving your time to? I think you have to ask what you're genuinely passionate about. In the nonprofits that we have worked with have been the homeless shelters. We've done things for obviously our, our school and foster care. We're very passionate about that. And we've done some work for those families. And I think when you are posting, like what we did for our school for the auction was we sold uh, $500 gift certificates for $100 each and all of that profit went back to the school. And we sold 19 of those. And so when we did that, we were able to post and put it in a way that wasn't bragging, but it was, hey, look what you guys did for Mm. our school. You helped us raise $1,900 and plus that anything anything else that you choose to buy, we're going to donate 20% of that back to the school. So it's just, it's focusing on what they are getting and what you are doing, not necessarily about what we are doing. Interesting. I I like that balance. I think that's really healthy. Talk to me about time, time management, Um, especially, I mean, you alluded to the fact that you have kids. And so, and first of all, I can relate to what it's like to have kids and want to have a business. And in fact, in my case, multiple companies or brands, but then also want to make sure that I'm prioritizing time with my kids, family, close friends. Is there a particular way that you all go about creating space for for each other, for yourselves, for your kids, the, the important people in your life amidst running a business? Part of it is, I mean, just taking a step back, we have to define what success means for us. Mm. And for us, success means spending that intentional and quantity family time together. And whatever our business looks like, as long as it's meeting the goal of our, which is our family time, then we consider that exist. We, We don't believe I get, let me back up a little bit more. I'm getting ahead of myself. We don't believe you can have it all at once everything all at once. Okay. It's just, it's impossible. Plus it's just not any fun. Uh, where's anticipation when you can't look forward to something. So we, we realize that whatever, however we structure our business for at least for right now, while our kids are at home, if it's meeting the needs of our number one goal, which is our family time with the kids, um, all that kind of stuff. If it's meeting those needs, then it's a success. Now it may not be following our deep passion of what we want to do, and but that's okay because yeah. that will come later on because our kids won't be here forever, and so that's where we've we've chosen to spend a lot of our time, and we do that by having a goal of one or two clients a week. That's really it. Wow! And when it comes to a, we've we've taught this a lot. We position our business um, in a way that because we're not a charity. We would love to help everyone we can, but our business isn't set up that way. Our business is set up so that we can be charitable when we choose to and how we choose to. So we can't take all the, all the people that, that would love to come to us, but just can't afford it. However, if we run our business the way we intend to do, then we're freed up to address those needs when they come up. Um, a, a foster family that is wanting something special because they think they are about to lose this child that mm. they spent so much time with and they want to memorialize it. They don't have the, the, the funds to invest in a great session with us. 
if we feel that we see that need because we run our business the way we intend to, the way we want to, then we're freed up to do that and to address those without any guilt, without any fear of, oh, what are we missing out on? Our heart's free, our mind's free, our finances are free to give them the very best of, of what we have because we run our business the way we, we, we need to. But I, I like that you started out with intention. Um, and it's interesting because this has truly been a, a theme uh, for a bit on the podcast now. This, is, this idea has been coming up. But you're starting with intention. You clearly establish what it is that means success to you. And then your time, the, the way that you run your business ultimately is based around that concept. Um, I, th- I think a lot of times photographers, and I've certainly been guilty of this as a business owner as well, tend to kind of react to whatever's going on around them. And what that then leads to is an extreme amount of inefficiency. And then they don't have much of a life at the end of the week um, because they're putting all these hours into just kind of reacting to whatever's going on around them, whatever the industry says they're supposed to do. They do some of that. And then this is on social media. And then these 50 email came in and text messages. And so, I mean, there's, they're just constantly reacting versus starting the week off or the month off or the year off, whatever it is with intention. This is what success means to me. And so as a result, in order to get here, now I reverse engineer it. These, this is how I'm going to spend my time. This, in, in your case, is how many shoots I'm going to even allow in a week or, or do in a week. That kind of specificity then frees you up, not only to, to spend time with family, but then also to be able to give back, as you pointed out. And I think it's a wonderful example for all of our listeners. I think you're absolutely right, though, about kind of beginning with the end in mind. And and you're rom- reminding me a lot of, of one of our favorite books, which is The 4-Hour Workweek by Timothy Ferris, yeah. which is all about this, managing your time well and being intentional with where you want to go so you know how to get there. Yeah. And we've done this for years. And when we defined our success as choosing how we spend our time, then we have to ask ourselves, what do we want our days to look like? And if we want our days to look this way, then, okay, how much income does that actually take? And what parts of our job do we enjoy doing? Are we good at? And what can we, uh, you know, give out to others? But honestly, if you're doing a couple sessions a week, you can do most of the work yourself. You just have to be sure that you have your averages up where you want them and need them. And you also have to be aware of, okay, do I actually need as much money as I think I do? Hmm. Because the trap that a lot of photographers get into is they set financial goals for themselves and they don't know why they're setting their goal at that level. And so when they meet that, the next thing is, well, I guess I should just raise that. Instead of thinking, my goal is really that, okay, we want to to take a three week trip to Europe. We want to uh, be able to have a movie night and a game night with our kids once a week. We want to be able to date nights as a couple. Those are the important things. And we have to think about setting goals for not only our business, but for our life and our family life as well. Wow. I love it. I'm, we're going to have to clip that, whatever that was, 60 seconds and put it out there for everybody. That could have been the podcast <laughs> episode on its own. I think there's a lot of value in that. And what's what's I think great about it is that at the root level, it, we're not talking about complicated concepts. We're just talking about starting with intention. And that includes, as you even pointed out, I mean, the, the financial component. This is how much I need to you know pay the bills to set some money aside for investments, savings, and also to take a vacation or two a year, or however many you want to, but you you have those specific goals in mind. You're able to build the business model as a result of understanding what you're what it is you're actually trying to achieve. 
And again, that leads to much more efficiency on a day-to-day, week-to-week basis as well. So this is a great baseline for everybody. And uh, that, that, was a, that was a nugget for sure. I want to keep going though, because we have a lot to cover. Talk to me a little bit about, I think you alluded to just a second ago, the notion of, of outsourcing or delegation. You, you seem to have a lot of flexibility in your business to manage much of it your, yourselves, but have you found any value in, in delegation, whether internally or externally, um, to hiring somebody or working with a third-party company? Have you found any value in this idea? Well, I mean, obviously, when your business is growing, the first thing you tend to hand over is your accounting. And that, I hope because so. that's something most, <laughs> most photographers are not great at. Right. And so that's something that we do not have to handle anymore. The only other outsourcing that we have done is project based. And so if I'm doing, we did a big uh, dancer project last year where we were um, photographing, you know, 30 dancers. And that is every client that we run through our process because it is so um, experience focused and it's high touch that, you know, in our system, that's like 14 steps. And so when you multiply that by 20 to 30 dancers, that's just a lot of steps. And so we have tried hiring somebody on a project basis to just help with that. Um, you know, I'm kind of up in the air as to how that goes, because I think if you find the right person, it's fantastic. Sure. If you find the person who is not right, it's kind of a pain. And so as much as we can do ourselves, we really like to. I think at some point you have to make the decision in your business whether I'm going to grow this large and I'm going to scale it and I'm going to then essentially become a people manager or I'm going to keep it small mm. and I'm going to focus on keeping our expenses down and getting our averages up which is kind of where we've landed right now. Interesting. So for you all, there's more value than in keeping the expenses down versus bringing on people to the team virtually or literally. Uh, you find more value in just keeping the expenses down ultimately and not enough of an added value in delegating any, any other part of the business? You know, I think we had, if we had more volume mm-hmm. or if we were doing weddings where we're dealing with a lot of files, then certainly the value of having an image editing a vendor work with us would be invaluable. Sure. Um, it's just it's just not something in our wheelhouse right now because we we just don't have that that kind of volume. But that's certainly a great example of the importance of outsourcing um, your needs. Some do it with their website, right? Which is great. I think we're just some of the thriftiest people you'll ever meet. So <laughs> that's just kind of naturally in our heart. Sure. Um, just kind of do it ourselves. But I think we're smart enough now and have been full-time long enough to realize if there's something that needs to be done that we just don't want to reinvent the wheel on, Mm. let's just outsource it and be happy with it and move on and generate more revenue instead of spending our time learning how to do that particular thing. Oh, I like that. Nate, if I'm going to outsource anything at this point, it's going to be our yard in our house cleaning. (laughs) Right it's not be that's, no, that's great. And by the way, I, I want to be clear. I wasn't trying to set you all up to talk specifically about editing. As most of our listeners probably know, I'm an owner at Photographer's Edit. Um, that was that was not a setup by any means. Um, we do talk about outsourcing or delegation because naturally it's tied to Photographer's Edit. Um, but I think it really is an important concept. In fact, ironically, despite the fact that I own a post-production company that you know whose whose work or service is centered around this notion of delegation or outsourcing. Um, I'm still learning as a CEO of a company how to better delegate to my team. Um, a lot of that centers around learning how to more effectively communicate. I mean, you, you mentioned earlier, Whitney, uh, that that can be kind of a pain if, if you're not working with the right person. 
Uh, the question that I ask myself quite a bit is not so much, I mean, you wonder or you want to make sure that you have the right person, but I also wonder, am I doing a good enough job communicating what needs to be done? And my, is my frustration, is the source of my frustration, not so much the person's ability, but my lack of ability to communicate effectively? Because it's funny, as I think as photographers and probably most of us sole proprietors, we're used to just working with ourselves, right? We, the, the internal dialogue is about all that, all the dialogue that has to happen the majority of the time outside of our clients. And so when we explore the idea of delegation, there is this, this kind of a mental block almost to understanding the reality, which is that most people don't think or even necessarily speak the way that we do. So the moment we try to start communicating what it is we want them to do, that can fall on confused ears, if nothing else. We have to understand how the other person communicates or how they understand communication. And then we have to be clear about what it is that we actually want in order to effectively communicate to them. And this is this is something that, again, I don't think is discussed a whole lot in our industry. And, and it's one it's a the topic that's quite fascinating to me. What, what are your thoughts about learning how to communicate in that process of delegation, especially when it comes to the projects that you alluded to? Uh, that I'm probably bad at it. <laughs> um, I mean, nobody's using the word control freak here, but um, <laughs> there could be an element of that involved Sure, because I, I feel like if somebody's communicating with my clients, I feel like I do it the way I want it. And I, it's very difficult to hand that portion of it over to someone else. Hmm. Anything that's not client related, um, that's a different story, but because it's, you know, it's our name on the business, it's us that needs to be setting the tone for that. And I don't want somebody else messing up something that we've worked very hard to establish in a certain way. Okay. Understood. I I hear you loud and clear and I can very much empathize with that feeling. What were you going to say, David? (laughs) Practical example of that. There's a a community magazine uh, that services a lot of the vendors uh, around Walmart and Walmart itself. And so we've been called in to do some big projects kind of the, the ones to watch for the year, great portrait stuff for them. But instead of just being the photographer that comes in for that, we realized be, because, you know, obviously we run our own business. We're also a representative of that magazine company and how we relate to those, for instance, the ones to watch, how we interact with them, how we communicate with them. It's not just so much on us, but it's also a, a view of how they see that magazine. And so when we realize that, we go beyond um, what we would normally do by we created special treats and gift bags to give those ones to watch, something the magazine never not only asked us to do, but never considered asking us to Mm. do. We wanted to do it because it represents them as much as it does us. And so in finding employees or outsourcing, they represent our brand. And so getting back to the control freak thing, it's really hard to let that go because it represent they represent us. And, you know, when we're doing just a few clients per week that we, we can't afford to lose any. And so giving that up is, is probably one of the biggest obstacles we face in growing our business. Well, I, I think you have a really interesting and, and even unique business model to, in contrast to probably a lot of our listeners. I mean, the idea that you only, have to be concerned about getting a couple of clients a week is, is a great place to be in. And again, major props to you for the intentionality and, and understanding what it is you're even trying to achieve. And that of course has enabled you to create this business model. 
Um, you do seem to have more flexibility than the average photographer. Most portrait and or wedding photographers, at least based on my experience and the conversations that I've had, are kind of frantically trying to make it through their week and are overwhelmed with work. And in that context, I, I couldn't highly recommend enough this idea of delegation or outsourcing. It seems like you've got a little bit more flexibility there. And again, major props to you. I think that that's largely in thanks to to the way that you've very intentionally created that business model. And, you know, I mean, this, this is a great learning opportunity for us. And, and then speaking of learning, um, I'd be curious if you all have a book or two that you would recommend. And this is something we talk about quite a bit on the podcast, a self-help book, a business book, maybe both, if, if they come to mind, that has made or have made a big impact on your lives, your business, again, maybe both. Do you, do you have any in particular that come to mind? Well, when it comes to the the two books that I think kind of bookend the things that I'm talking about on one end is like I said, the four hour work week by Timothy Ferris that Mm. really changed the way that uh, we thought about our business. And again, added that element of intentionality, Mm. knowing where you want to go and then, and planning for how to get there on the other end of the spectrum is a, a kind of obscure book that I found that I absolutely love. And it's called a real life. And it's by, uh, Ferenc Matei. I'm not sure if I'm saying that right, <laughs> but it's kind of the antithesis of success. Like what is, um, what is true happiness all about? Um, looking at your social circles and the way you live and just the, the rhythm of your daily life. And it's the very kind of peaceful grounding book. And I think um, just the era that we are in right now, this moment, that's probably a good book for people to be reading because I think it's great to give you perspective on what's really important in life. And, and say the, can, do you mind spelling the, the author's name? I was, I was actually trying to look it up here on Amazon to, to just kind of pull it up. Yes, but. it's, um, I believe it's F-E-R-E-N-C-M-A-T-E. And he's got, um, he's got several books and I think I have most of them, but it's called A Real Life. Okay. You know, he owns a vineyard in Italy now, and he's one of these guys oh, who wow. knows how to live life. <laughs> that, that, absolutely. It sounds great. No, we'll, we'll find that book and put, put it in the show notes at bocapodcast.com. And uh, of course, the four-hour work week, this is one that's come up a lot in the show. And I, I, I love how you, you framed it too, because you know somebody, I just had another guest on the podcast um, in the last week who brought up the four-hour work week. And for their particular business model, it, it just it kind of rubbed them the wrong way. It, it didn't, the amount of time and, and ironically, in a way, intentionality that they wanted to put in their business, the way that they wanted to invest on a very personal level in their business, the concepts in that book just didn't, didn't work for them. And interesting to have a conversation where kind of the opposite seems to be true. But I, I like that you, you highlight the, I guess really one of the underlying principles of the book, which as even Tim Ferriss has highlighted, is not about only working four hours a week per se or necessarily. Um, it's more about, as you pointed out, working with intention, working with intention, and ultimately maximizing efficiency as as a result. And mm-hmm. um, and and that's I think that gets lost. People hear that title and they kind of probably write it off. I I actually read it and I actually was reading it, and as I was creating Photographers Edit twelve thirteen years ago. And wow. so I was already thinking about these concepts and photographers edit. Part of the reason I created it in the first place was to create a business that was scalable, that was self-sustaining, that would generate a certain amount of, of passive income ultimately. And because I, I didn't want to work 24 seven, I, as a, as a photographer, I had a lot of freedom, flexibility. I wanted even more. 
And so the principles that he talked about in that book were interesting, interestingly similar to what I was already trying to put in place with Photographer's Edit. And within the span of three years or so after I started Photographer's Edit, three to four years, I was literally able to work just four hours a week. Um, and, and it wasn't, I wasn't trying to do exactly what Tim was saying, you know, in, in that title, but I, I say this ultimately, I guess, just to, to prove that it is possible if you want to, again, if that intention is there to work less hours for the sake of whatever your other goals are, you do have to be intentional. You have to think about the efficiency of your business, the way that you've, that the business model that you put in place and that type of freedom, that type of flexibility is possible as you all have demonstrated, just doing two or three shoots a week to create the lifestyle that you want, but it has to start with intention. And I love that there's been that theme in this conversation. So I appreciate you bringing that up. We're going to put that in the show notes too. And by the way, for everybody listening in, uh, Haley has created this wonderful resource. If you go to bocabookshelf.com, um, the most popular of the book recommendations here on the podcast have been highlighted there at that at that site, at that URL. Um, this is one of them. So make sure you check that out if you're looking for a book to read. Let's let's actually jump to kind of the meat of our conversation today because it's, it's a loaded topic. We're in the middle right now of a pretty unsettling experience, I guess, not just in the United States, but globally with the coronavirus. And it's naturally creating a certain amount of fear and apprehension and concern for photographers as, you know, wedding photographers in particular, but I'm, I'm assuming portraits as well are being canceled due to concerns around the virus. And while the fear is understandable, staying kind of fixated on what creates that fear is ultimately debilitating. And it's not going to help us, certainly as individuals, but even more so as, as photographers, as business owners. I know that you all have personally had some experience in the past that you can speak to and kind of share some of the lessons you've learned from that as it relates to what we're going through right now. So I'd, I'm just going to kind of give you the floor, um, let you take it away and, and explain not only the experience that you had, but ultimately the lessons that you've learned um, that enabled you to be better business owners as a result. All right. Yeah, I can set us up with this. We lived outside of Joplin, Missouri in 2011 when the tornado, the deadliest one in, in U.S. history, at least recent U.S. history, wiped out a third of our city. And Joplin is in southwest Missouri, very low cost of living, median income of around 30000 But we were still, I think our averages then for a portrait session were around 2000. Wow. So it was, it was great. There's, there's, re, there's saturated markets. And we had, we had photographers sponsored in our area by White House, Millers, speaking at After Dark when it was going on. And so it wasn't just saturated with everyone. It was saturated with some great talent in our area. So we, we know what it feels like. But when that tornado came through, it, like I said, it wiped out half of the city or a third of the city, but it hit an area that uh, was right through the middle of town, the older parts, more densely populated, not exactly our clientele. They lived more in the suburbs, the outskirts of the city, new development, those kind of areas. But we found that everyone was affected. Mm -hmm. um, our target client, whose homes were fine, emotionally felt like they'd been hit too. And that's what drew us to similarities with what's going on now is that you know if no one's sick around you or your area, economically, uh, financially, personally, financially, even business financially, you still are affected. You're, you're feeling the weight of that. And so there were some eerie similarities to what we had gone through with the tornado in a physical sense versus what's going on with, with the virus that you know, we don't see really any 
any manifestation of it yet, but you begin to feel it and everyone feels it, even our target client. Well, you know, I mean, 161 people lost their lives in this tornado. Mm. So it was, it was just devastating for our community. And we had no clients for a full three months. And that was because, I mean, even if you were not directly impacted, just the mood of the community was, uh, the whole community was devastated. There were people had lost people that they loved. They were focused on helping other people. I mean, it was not a time that anybody could think about having their family pictures made. It felt almost disrespectful during that time because we were a luxury. We were not a need. David and I often talk about Maslow's hierarchy of needs. I mean, if you're your basic psychology class, you know what that is. And so when it comes to those basic needs that everybody has to have met, um, the physiological, the safety needs, those have to be met before you can get to the needs of uh, love and belonging, esteem, self-actualization, those higher needs. Um, our clients are purchasing at those higher levels. When we are just trying to get a roof over our heads and feel safe, yeah. we're not in a position to want to purchase photography for our family or our wedding or anything. And so I think that's some of what we are seeing even now is people, while physiologically most of us are okay, there's this sense of, I don't necessarily feel safe because I don't know what's coming. And so dealing with that was the challenge for us. Just how do we get through this time, how do we do it in a respectful way? What do we do with our time while we have it that sets us up for success later? And there was certainly no way we could rush the process hmm. because we were a part of that process. We were knee deep in it as well. Right. And it just becomes, it comes across as being very selfish, almost like we're trying to hoard business or capitalize on something that's very negative. Um, when that would never be our intent, it would still be perceived that way. So we had to walk a very fine line on how we approached um, our business and planning for the future. Well, and I can even just remember, I mean, in the days after the tornado, one of our friends, our clients had lost their home. And it, basically this was a rain wrapped supercell. So when their, um, when their roof flew off of their house, everything that they were able to save was completely soaked. Mm. And so the small thing that we were able to do for them was to just take all of their laundry and do it. And wow. I remember standing in my basement in the days after that happened, just surrounded by piles and piles of clothes and doing laundry all day long and, and just listening to the radio and hearing, uh, I mean, at that point, it was all so new that there were they were continually talking about this person is missing. If you've heard about this person, this is what they look like. I mean, it was just a, a devastating time for our community and thinking my business is so unimportant right now, hmm. you know, feeling that myself, like I don't, I, I wouldn't even feel right taking anybody's picture right now. Hmm. I feel like we should be doing something to bolster our community. How long do you think, or how long did it take ultimately before you felt like there was room for you to begin actively promoting your business after that incident? I would say it was three months Yeah, wow. at least. Yeah. It was, it was a long process um, just because no one was in the mood. We were not a necessity. Right. Uh, life was moving on on those lower levels of the pyramid just to provide a sense of safety and security. Right. Even if you weren't directly affected by it, emotionally you were back on that lower level of the pyramid. And it just takes a while to get past that where you go, okay, 
it's all right for me to breathe. Nothing happened to me and my family. For whatever reason, we're still here, but we're not ready to begin to make some large purchases or things like that sure. just because our heart isn't there yet. And we're seeing some similarities with what's going on now. It's like people are just hunkering down. I don't want to look like I'm, I'm hoarding stuff. Um, <laughs> you know, it's, it, we're kind of in char- uncharted waters here, but there's some eerie similarities to what we went through. Well, and not only were we not having clients during that time, but we had um, at least eight of our clients who lost everything. So they lost their homes, but they also lost all of the product that we had created for them over years. So we were also looking at having to replace all of this for our clients. So financially, it was a very scary place to be. And thankfully, um, our lab at the time, which was Black River Imaging, uh, and they are in our area. So they wanted very much to help. They said, anything that your clients lost, we will replace for free. They were just fantastic during that time. And other companies were not doing that. They were doing 25% off or 50% off. And they were being, they were being generous, but it was just over the top. But Black River Imaging was willing to do for us. So the wedding albums, you know, canvases, medals, those kind of things that they were replacing for free. Thousands of dollars. And we would have taken a hit on that. That's part of what, how we structure our business. We, Tell our clients, we'll guarantee this. You know, if your son, you know, runs around with a pair of scissors and cuts up, you know, the the canvas, we may suggest parenting classes, but we'll replace <laughs> that <laughs> for you. So we were we were ready to take that hit, and um, we did. Fortunately, we didn't have to, and that's just part of what's neat about our industry and why we're we're so invested in getting past this this current crisis now because we believe. Our industry is valuable, that we serve a purpose for life, at least life in the U.S., that uh, pictures are important, legacy is important, all those kind of things. And so a healthy industry selfishly helps us, but we think it's a valuable industry that Mm -hmm. we're in. Um, and so we want to see it grow and, and, and prosper. Well, and so speaking of kind of getting through this, I mean, naturally the big question for probably most at this point, or one of the big questions is how long is it going to last? And there's really no way to know how long this will get drawn out, how much quarantining right. is going to happen, happen on a, you know, a smaller kind of localized scale or even a broader scale. And then how this ultimately translates to, as you were talking about, how free clients feel not only to, to physically show up for something like a wedding or a portrait session even, um, but then whether or not they're going to f- feel free financially to be able to pay for these services. In the meantime, though, I mean, there's, there's no, that's something we have no control over. So the, the healthier thing to do is to focus on what we can change or in this case, improve. And so I'm curious during those three months or so, were there certain things that you can that you can share with us that you did in your business with what would uh, similarly to to what we're experiencing right now be considered kind of downtime, right? It's a slower season, not one that was expected. Slow nonetheless. You have extra time on your hands. Were there ways that you proactively capitalized on that extra time for the sake of bettering your business when you came out the other side of of that tragedy? Yes, I mean, I know for myself, it felt so personal that it was hard for me to even want to go see the devastation for one and especially to photograph it because it felt very personal and I didn't want to intrude on other people's pain. Um, But ultimately we had to decide, okay, we're not a a doctor. We're not a a construction worker. We're not somebody who can help in those ways, 
but our gift is photography. And, mm. and that is a gift that we can use during this time. I wrote a blog post that was our first viral blog post, which is it's our only interesting. <laughs> yeah. But because of the clients that we had had who had lost everything, we were able to tell some of their stories hmm. and show some of the images. You know, the the wedding we had just photographed where the bride and the groom lost lost everything two weeks after the wedding. You know, her wedding gown was gone. All of the gifts from the people. I mean, it was very sad. We had a, a dance studio that we'd just taken pictures of these sweet little dancers that um, lost everything. Hmm. A newborn session that we had done where the, you know, they brought her home on a Friday and they lost their home on a Sunday. I mean, just giving a face to those people was a powerful way to show the world what we were dealing with and was able to bring, I think, more help to our community. We also um, partnered with a local magazine to create a fundraising memorial book. I mean, we have a connection with a lot of photographers in the area and they were all shooting and they were photographing different things. And so we were able to gather images from dozens of photographers and tell the story of, of not only the tragedy, but all of the wonderful things that were happening in response. I mean, the good people who were coming from all over the United States to help. I mean, the kids, who were doing lemonade stands to raise money, um, the artists who were creating these beautiful murals to co commemorate the good things that had happened through all of this. Um, even you know the people who came from all over the country to adopt the displaced animals mm. from that situation, things you don't think about. Yeah. And so being able to <clears throat> turn that time into doing something that felt productive and good uh, was healing for us. Hmm. And also, I think, set us up as kind of leaders in our community and people who cared. And I think people want to do business with people who are generous and caring in their communities. Uh, wow. Yeah. And again, that's that's one of those. Let's clip that last 30 seconds and, and put it out there because that's so that's so true. I'm finding this more more true or it's not that it becomes more true. I'm just finding it to be even more significant uh, for myself as a business owner to to. Um, the effort to put kindness and value into the world consistently. It, it's amazing to see how that comes back. It might not be right away. It may be a little ways down the road, but it seems to consistently come back when you make the concerted effort to focus on those two things, kindness and value, kindness and value, consistently putting it out there and, and certainly not doing so with the expectation of return, but also understanding right. that that's just how, how it works ultimately. I mean, it's a, it's a beautiful thing to watch. I find it quite fascinating that when I ask you what you did to work on your business, you're, you're highlighting the fact that you were focused on giving to the community. Ultimately, um, that speaks a lot for your, your character or characters, David and Whitney. Um, but also again, the significance of this notion of, of focusing on, on giving to the community first, that's the priority. Now I still, I'm still curious You'd had that extra time. Was there any part of you that was also looking at your business during some of this downtime? You have extra time on your hands and, you know, whether it's the website or some marketing efforts or some, some of your client workflows or whatever it might have been, was that an opportunity to improve on some of that as well? And if so, were there specific examples? Well, and we've talked about this and I, I don't really remember our business was not as robust then as it was 
Now, I do remember being very scared about our finances Hmm. because we had not implemented a lot of things we have now that allow us to kind of have a bit of a cushion and some savings. Um, And this will be a lesson for a lot of people going through this. that They will build that up for next time when this happens. But going into this now, I think um, what is scary for people is just what is unknown. And that's, you know, how long is this going to last? Are, are my clients even going to want to come in? And if they do come in, are they going to uh, be able to invest like they have? Now, you do see uh, at different levels, you see different abilities and people who are um, kind of our ultra ideal clients who are, are almost above financial issues, uh, above the financial struggle. So there are people who that's not going to be a problem for. There are people who may need a payment plan. Hmm. But I think making a plan for yourself, like you're mentioning, is really helpful. And when you're talking about making a plan, you're talking about making a plan specifically financially. Is, is that right? Well, for your business. So um, and instead of because we don't know what's going to happen, instead of saying, here's what I'm going to do this month, here's what I'm going to do next month, I think you have to look at kind of the phases this is going to go through. So I may go through a phase right now while where I have no clients for a little while. Right. What's my plan going to be for my business while I have no clients and no prospects? Well, I'm going to do kind of what you were talking about. I'm going to say, okay, what are the things in my business that I'm always saying I need to get to that? And I just don't ever seem to have time for it. So yeah, we're revamping our website. Things like I want to redo my price list. I need to get my systems in place. And also, how can I use this unique time to really develop these relationships hmm. that I have with my clients. I mean, it's, it's, you're not in, you're not intentionally going, Ooh, I'm going to try to get business from them later, but we are in such a uh, unique business that we really connect with people on a deeper level than I think most businesses do with their clients because we have them at vulnerable times a lot. We see them multiple times. Yeah, I was going to say it's. I saw a meme earlier that <laughs> that mentioned. I'm so glad I'm hearing feedback from every single company I ever gave my email address to about how they're handling the situation. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And it got me thinking. You know, we we could craft something that is generic and bland, and just let all our clients, future and prior clients, know this is how we're handling. This is what we're doing. But how much more effective would it be if we gave them a call or, or did something a little more personal that says, how are you doing through this? Is there anything that we could do that would be helpful to you or maybe to a neighbor, you know, that is currently struggling? Hmm. Those kinds of little things show hopefully the sincerity that's in our heart, mm-hmm. but they show that we're in it with them, that we want uh, to work together to get past this, but it also deepens a relationship instead of just doing what everyone else is doing by a basic email, go a little more personal. We have time to do it. So why not invest in that? And the best part is it's free. That goes back to our cheapskate thing. Well, and I even <laughs> mentioned to David yesterday that, you know, a lot of our uh, local businesses are struggling. This is not just about the coronavirus. This is also about the economy and how can we help support our local businesses. And again, this is a little bit of a financial investment. So it's not something everybody would want to do. But we had thought about just going to some of our local coffee shops and buying some gift certificates to help them 
through this, but to also then maybe take those and um, send them with a personal note to some of our clients so that they can see we're supporting our community. uh, But we also want you to know that we're thinking about you and hope you're doing okay. Say nothing about booking a session, say Mm. nothing about business. This is personal and building those relationships when this is all over, you know, they're going to think, Oh, maybe I need to come back and support them a little bit. Mm. You know, the good thing that we found from Joplin experience was that when the dust settled, when things were finally getting a little bit back to normal, the rebound was a wonderful thing Mm. because clients came out of that experience. And I think they will here too, valuing their family, Mm. valuing their relationships more than their stuff. Maybe I don't know if they'll ever value anything more than toilet paper at this point, but <laughs> <laughs> or hand sanitizer. But they, but they were in a unique position to invest because they've been holding back for a while, yeah. and they valued this so much more than they ever had before. Well, I I, I really like how we're finishing this conversation because you you kind of packaged it up neatly in summation, and I, I wrote some points down here. So the the first, and, and again, I, I love how. Your, your focus is so obvious here on service. It's not something that we talk about enough. We don't use that word specifically enough, I don't think, in our industry. And I think, you know, photographers have become so photographer-centric, um, talking about themselves on their website and on social media, yeah. that, that the focus on adding value to the client, to, to giving to them, that has been lost in the mix. And I think we need to get back to that. Hopefully the pendulum is going to kind of swing back to a healthier place in that regard. But starting um, in, in these times, despite how, again, disconcerting they can be, if we focus on that, it's going to be debilitating for ourselves personally and professionally. So how can we proactively and ultimately strategically use our time? Number one is to look for ways to give, to serve the community at large, to add value to their lives in some way. Number two is to be intentional with a plan as a business to take advantage of the time to make improvements in our business. As you point out, the website, potentially SEO, um, pricing, workflows, systems. As you said, those things that maybe we're too busy, quote unquote, to, to do the rest of the time, we have this extra time now how can we leverage it for the sake of improving our business so that when things pick back up, we're ready to go, but we're, you know, two, three X where we were before, as far as the way that our business is functioning. Um, that was number two. And then number three, work on the relationships. And this is really interesting, it's, especially if you have downtime, how difficult would it be to pick up the phone? And as, as you were alluding to give somebody a call and check in on them and see how they're doing. And it's funny, I, I just had a meeting with our team uh, this past Thursday, and this is one of the things that we're talking about doing right now, while we have this extra time, because things are naturally not going to be as busy for us at Photographer's Edit, uh, we won't have as many customer support tickets coming in. And so that Mm -hmm. frees our our team up to focus on proactive outreach. How can we make their experience even more personal by giving them the extra phone call and making it more personal? I love this. Um, And you're totally right. At the end of the day, the, especially the, the, the first and third point, when you're focused on serving and you're focused on genuine relationships and adding value and showing kindness, it will come back um, in a wonderful way. And in, in some ways, probably ways that we don't, we, we can't even imagine, but it will come back in the end in, in a wonderful way, both for the sake of our business and our personal lives. And, and that can't be stressed enough. So I, I love the proactive mentality here. Uh, that you're exhibiting. And it's a wonderful example for all of our listeners. I think it's a great way to sum up the conversation 
And, and I really appreciate you both making so much time to share with us today. Just in closing, one more time, will you share with our listeners where they can follow what you're doing online, um, where they can maybe see a new website coming online here soon? Um, <laughs> where, what, what are those URLs one more time, if you don't mind? WhitneyScottPhotography.com. Instagram is Whitney Scott Photography. Uh, Facebook is Whitney Scott Photography. <laughs> yeah, it's but we're just we're we're dorks. There's there's really you, you may not be impressed with with who we are with what we're posting, but we we hope hopefully it's endearing and engaging. That's that's especially as another photographer because we know what it's like. People go. Wow, their images look like, like that. Oh my goodness. <laughs> wow. Way I, to really promote it. <laughs> yeah. I, well, I will say that I just posted um, this morning on, on my Instagram stories a beautiful portrait actually from your feed. And, and again, it's, it's Whitney Scott photography. This is a post from February 12th, this beautiful kind of sepia toned uh, portrait of a little girl. Uh, it, your work is, is, quite beautiful. Not only that, your business model obviously works. The number of people listening in who are portrait photographers that are probably highly jealous of you right now, only shooting two to three portrait sessions a week and, and making a great living, right, that, that, that number is probably quite large. So don't um, you need to give yourself a little bit more credit than you are. Um, nonetheless, we'll put these links in the show notes at uh, bocapodcast.com for everybody to listen in. And then just very briefly, you all mentioned to me right before we started recording of a resource uh, that is relevant to this conversation. We, we will put the link in the show notes, but can you just briefly explain what that is? Yeah, there's actually two things uh, that I want to mention. Sure. 3XM, which is the fantastic company out of Ireland that creates the folio boxes that we use, they have created a think tank of, uh, I believe it's around 35 of kind of some of the leaders in the industry, okay. and they are doing a series of webinars to help photographers through this time. So I think they're doing some on um, just kind of the uh, emotional and spiritual components of how to get through this. They're doing some on marketing, um, how you can handle that during this time. They're doing one on just finances and how you can uh, deal with that end of things. And I think they're even breaking out into some different specific like genres. I think we're gonna be heading up the one on senior photography. Uh, and that is, you can join the Facebook group, 3XM Insiders, okay. or I guess we'll put a link to some of those specific webinars on your page. Okay. Um, the other the other business that we have that we do, which is called Tribe of Five, yeah. is a um, coach-led mentoring groups for photographers. And that is just getting more in-depth with your business. It's um, yeah. monthly coaching, masterminds, small groups. Of photographers from across the country um, that really just provide the support and accountability that I think a lot of us need during this time. Yeah. And always. <laughs> and, and you're partnering with um, Amy and Tavis Guild on that, correct? Yes. Yeah, yes. A yes. Amy and Tavis were on the Boca podcast back in episode 79. It's actually been a little while back, December wow. of 2017, but um, they talked about how to manage a team of photographers. We'll, we'll put that uh, episode in the show notes as well. Uh, but we'll also link to Tribe of Five. That's something that Photographers Edit has has um, supported, and uh, hopefully we'll have the opportunity yep. to continue to support. So thanks for the for for mentioning that. We'll put all this information again for everybody listening. If you don't take advantage of the show notes, you're you're kind of missing out because there's it's a wealth of information. Go to BocaPodcast.com. You can see the show notes under each individual episode. And uh, once again, David and Whitney, thank you so much for making time for all of us today. You bet. Thanks, thanks for having Nate. us. Thank you so much for listening to the Boca Podcast. Will you let us know what you thought by leaving a review of the podcast in the Apple Podcast app? 
And I'd love to hear from you personally with your thoughts about the podcast and suggestions about future topics and guests for the show. My email is nathan at photographersedit.com. The Book of Podcast is brought to you by Milu, the simplest way for photographers and coordinators to collaborate on shot lists and timelines for weddings, parties, and other amazing events. Visit Milu, M-I-I-L-U.com. This podcast is also brought to you by Photographer's Edit, custom image editing for the professional photographer. Visit photographersedit.com.